Amen. Well, this past week, I uh, got a couple sad reminders of death. Um, Death is an unfortunate reality in our world. It's one of the major consequences of sin. I don't view death as the enemy in our life. I view sin as the enemy, but with the enemy of sin, one of the main consequences of that enemy of sin, we have death. And uh, so first on Monday night, there was a shooting at Michigan State where a guy randomly, I'm sure many of you guys have heard about this, a guy randomly shot and killed three students while severely injuring five others. I've only been on campus a handful of times, uh, but it still hit different uh, being a Michigan State fan. I fell asleep on Monday night uh, listening to the police scanner, waiting for them to catch the the suspect, later finding out uh, that he committed suicide. And then second, I went to a funeral uh, for my Uncle Jeff's mother, Nancy, and I actually uh, ran into some of Jen's family uh, there as Nancy is Jen's great aunt, and so that basically makes us cousins. Sorry, Haynes family. I'm very sorry. Uh, But I didn't know uh, Nancy too well. Uh, However, it still hurts to see your loved ones mourn, Um, and so I'm very glad that I was able to go there uh, and and support and love on my family. And I'm sure we all have mourned over the loss of a loved one in our life, and and death is no fun. It, It is no fun to lose the life of a loved one. And now, while I got these couple uh, sad reminders uh, of death, one of the main consequences of sin in our life, uh, while at the funeral, I I was also uh, reminded of our wonderful faith that we have as Christians as well, that those who have fallen asleep in death are resting in the grave. They are no longer suffering. Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 9 records that they have no knowledge. Uh, They they don't know about our sufferings that that we have to go through on a day-in and day-out basis. And the next thing that our loved ones who expressed a living and active faith in God and Christ will know is that they will be resurrected from perishable to imperishable when Christ returns to earth. They will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. How awesome is that? We go from this broken world that we live in, many of our loved ones who fell asleep in death did a lot of suffering right before their death. A lot of our loved ones who have fallen asleep in death, they went through extreme physical pain or emotional or mental or spiritual pain. And all of that suffering will be over with. The former things will pass away. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more mourning or crying or pain for the former things will have passed away. We will see God face to face. That is good news. Good news that is made possible through the cross and the resurrection. Good news that is made possible uh, due to the grace of our heavenly Father. And all we have to do, all we have to do in in this equation uh, uh, of the gospel message of this good news is we need to put our faith in God and his son, Jesus Christ. It is as simple as that. When we have a living and active faith in God and his son, Jesus Christ, that we will have access to eternal life. And so that is good news, and this is the good news that we get to continue to explore as we continue our series on Romans, the foundation of our faith. And so if you have your Bibles, you can open up with me uh, this morning to the book of Romans, and we'll be starting in Romans chapter 4. 
So Romans, as, as a reminder for us all, Romans is a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Rome. It was a church that consisted of both Jewish and Gentile believers. Uh, and as we have seen, it caused uh, some, some division, some questions about the Jews, some questions about the Gentiles. Well, Paul, he, he went to go visit the city of Rome to preach the gospel message. Uh, and instead of actually going there in the meantime, he was simply going to write a letter uh, uh, presenting the gospel message to the people. And that's what the, the book of Romans is, the, the letter of Romans is this letter that Paul wrote to the church at Rome presenting the gospel message. And thus far, we have dealt pretty, pretty heavily with the fall of mankind. Last week, uh, we did a bit of a 180 after all this talk about sin, 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 and how both Jews and Gentile are, we are all under sin. Paul introduces God's grace into the equation, where it's through God's grace that we have been justified and redeemed. And all we have to do is accept God's grace with faith. We do not accept God's grace by our works. Rather, our works verify that we have a living and active faith. And for that reason, since we aren't saved by our works, none of us have any reason to boast about. The only thing that we can boast about is we can boast in the Lord, as Paul mentions, but for we are not saved by our own doing. And Paul continues along the same line of thinking in chapter four, where we are picking up today. Uh, as we're talking about being saved, being justified by God's grace as a gift, and we receive, we accept this grace through our faith. And today, Paul continues along these same lines by introducing Abraham into the discussion. For the Jews, Moses was like their guy, as Moses introduced the law of Moses. But Abraham was right there with Moses. There was a very, very deep respect and admiration for Abraham uh, among the Jews. As Abraham, he was the founder of the faith. And most of us are probably pretty familiar with Abraham and his story, but I just want to spend one minute uh, placing him in the greater context of the scriptures as we're going to be talking about Abraham throughout our whole message this morning. So the story of Abraham starts in Genesis chapter 11. At the very end, we, we see uh, whom he descended from. And Abraham is the first figure uh, of the Bible that we can have a pretty good idea of when he lived. He lived around 2000 BC. There are uh, some pretty wide predictions about when the events took place that preceded Abraham. However, there, there is a uh, very general consensus that Abraham did live around 2000 BC. And so Abraham, he lived long before the law of Moses, around 500 years or more uh, before the law of Moses. And so Abraham lived in a time where God did not give the people a written set of rules. A list uh, of rules wasn't introduced until the book of Exodus, uh, around the time of Moses. And so um, Abraham uh, introduced just by name in chapter 11, going through these different uh, genealogies. And then chapter 12 is really when the story of Abraham uh, kickstarts, where in chapter 12, God tells Abraham to leave his home to go to a land that he will show him. And if Abraham does this, then God says that he will make Abraham into a great nation. And through him, all of the families of earth shall be blessed. And so Paul, uh, writing in Romans chapter 4, and uh, verses 1 through 3, talking about Abraham, he says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? 
For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So Paul uh, talks about some ideas uh, to the Jews near the end of chapter 3 that would be uh, viewed as quite radical to some. This idea that we are justified by our faith. We're not justified by our works. We're not justified by fulfilling the law of Moses to a T. And this would have been a radical thought for some Jews, especially uh, the group of Jews known as the Pharisees, a group that did not get along very well with our Messiah, Christ Jesus. And so this would have been a radical idea that that we are justified by our faith and not our works. And so Paul then uses the example of Abraham to show that this concept of being justified by our faith is nothing new. This is a concept that has been established since the time of Abraham, as Abraham was not justified by his works. Rather, he was justified by his faith and his belief in God. We see this actually play out in Genesis uh, chapter 15. We're we're gonna actually read this story. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Genesis chapter 15. You can keep a finger in Romans 4 because we'll be uh, back there. But we see this play out in Genesis chapter 15 as Abraham, he is uh, justified by his belief. And so in chapter 15, this is after God uh, told Abraham that he would be a mighty nation, but this is before Abraham had any kids of his own. And so in chapter 15 of Genesis, verse 1 reads, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said that, that, that Abram uh, is a name uh, that Abraham had before his name was changed. Uh, Abram said, "O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, childless, and, and not childish, uh, childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus." And Abram said, "Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir." And behold, the word of the Lord came to him: This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to them, so shall your offspring be. So we don't know uh, precisely how old Abraham was at this point in time. Uh, We know in chapter 12, Abraham uh, was 75 years old. Uh, So he's at least 75 years old at this point in time in chapter 15. And Abraham, he was childless, and uh, God is telling him that that he would uh, bless him in in many mighty ways. And Abraham says, the only issue is, fathers, that I have no children. I'm childless. The heir of all the things that you're going to bless me with is going to be uh, to some other relative, the, the nearest relative that I have that is not my own child. And so God said that this, the, that this person, Eliezer, he, he would not be the heir to all that you have. Instead, God would grant him his very own son. And so God, uh, not only did, did, did God say that he would bless him with his own son, but, but God took him outside. I'm not sure what this looked like. Did God guide Abraham outside with a gentle touch of his back? Or did God walk before Abraham and Abraham follow? I don't know, but it's a pretty cool, uh, subtle uh, thought that God brought Abraham outside. And so God brought Abraham outside 
and he told Abraham to look at the heavens, to look outside and number the stars. And this was well before the invention of the light bulb by Thomas Edison. So the starry sky would have been very visible. And this is what I envisioned Abraham saw. Ben, oh, there we go. You're on top of your game. Yeah. This is what I envisioned Abraham saw when, when he looked up to the heavens and all of the stars of the sky. Now, now, maybe it was a bit more human. Maybe it was a bit more cloudy. So maybe not quite this vibrant. But that's what I envisioned what Abraham saw when God brought him outside and and God showed him the heavens, the, the, the stars of the sky. And God said that if you could count the stars of the sky, so shall your offspring be. And so not only did God uh, promise Abraham that, that he was going to have a son, but God said your offspring would be as numerous as that. And if we were surrounded this on all sides, it would be near impossible for a man to count all of these stars. And this is what Abraham's offspring would be like. It'd be like the stars of the sky. Now, if I were to place myself in Abraham's shoes, that would be pretty hard for me to believe. As someone uh, who, who is a bit on the older side, I question whether or not I'm, I'm really talking to God. Is, is God really saying I'm about to have a son when, when I'm at least the age of 75? Am I just hallucinating things? Am I dreaming? Is this just my imagination? All these questions would start flooding in if I heard this from uh, someone claiming to be uh, God. And so my question then is, what is Abraham's response? What, what is Abraham's response to this radical claim that he would give birth to a son or that he would have a son? I don't think he'd give birth to a son, but he would have a son and that his offspring would be as numerous as the stars of the sky. And we see Abraham's response in verse six of chapter 15. It reads, and he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. So Abraham's response to this radical claim that, that he would have his very own son, his offspring would be as numerous as the stars of the sky. Abraham's response was very simple. He believed. He believed in what God told him. And this belief in God was counted to Abraham as righteousness. And so God viewed Abraham as righteous, not because of his work, but because of his simple belief in him. And that is the point that, that Paul is making in Romans chapter 4. If we go back to Romans chapter 4, Paul, Paul is, is making this point that this concept of, of being justified by our faith is nothing new. For Abraham, uh, about 2,000 years before this was ever written, Abraham was justified by his faith. He was counted as righteous in the eyes of God. So this is not a new concept. Even though the, the Jews were huge into the law and thinking that we can be justified if we fulfill the law to a T. No, it's not about our works. It's about our faith. It's about our belief in God. And this has been established since the time of Abraham. And so Paul continues in verse four of Romans chapter four, and he says, now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. 
And so when you work 40, 50, 60, or however many hours a week you work, you expect to get paid. And when you receive the payment from your company, it's not a gift. It's not from your boss's good grace that he is giving you this paycheck. It's what you are due. You agree upon a said price for your work. And when that payment comes your way, it's not a gift. It's just what you are due. It's what you deserve for working. There would be very big issues if your boss decided you weren't going to get paid. He could consider, well, you got paid last month. That should hold you over for another month. No, that is not how that works. I, I think all of us would have issues if that's what our boss thought. It's like, well, we paid you last month. That should get you over uh, through this month. No, that, that is agreed upon principle, agreed upon payment is what you are due. Belief, on the other hand, leads to the justification of the ungodly. Where remember, justification is the process of being made right. We are made right in the eyes of God, not when we work, but we are made right in the eyes of God when we believe in him. It's through our faith that we are counted as righteous. And I love that this is not future tense. This is present tense. Paul is saying here in verse five, and to the one who does not work, but believes, present tense, believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is, not will be, but is counted as righteousness. And so when you have a living and active faith in God, then you are righteous. End of story. This righteousness does not wait until the resurrection. There there, there are some promises of this gospel message that await the the return of Christ Jesus. The, the, The promise of eternal life awaits the return of Christ Jesus. But this gift of justification, this gift of being righteous in the eyes of God, that is a present blessing. That is something that we experience today. And so if you are someone who has a living faith in God, then you are righteous. You are righteous. That is who you are. And today, we need to live like it. We, we need to live like we are righteous. We need, we need to fulfill our calling in life. So Paul continues in, in verse 6, and he writes, Just as David also speaks of the blessing." of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those who lo- whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. So here, this is a quotation from Psalm 32, verses 1 through 2. This is a psalm of David. And so David here in the psalm, he is recounting of the blessings of being in a right relationship with God, of being viewed righteous in the eyes of God. And part of this blessing is that God forgives our sins. God does not count the sin against us. What a wonderful, wonderful blessing it is to be of one to whom God counts righteousness apart from our work. We're righteous through our faith in God and his son, Jesus Christ. And so at verse nine, is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was 
circumcised. And so again here, Paul, as kind of he does through, through a lot of this writing uh, thus far, Paul is addressing a hypothetical uh, Jewish objector uh, where, where the, they're, they're questioning how Abraham was counted as righteousness. And, and this concept of circumcision is brought into this discussion of being justified. And for us to understand this, we have to understand the importance of circumcision to the Jews. William Barclay uh, writes in his commentary on Romans, quote, to the Jews, a man who was not circumcised was quite literally not a Jew, no matter what his parentage was. The Jewish circumcision prayer runs, blessed is he who sanctified his beloved from the womb and put his ordinance upon his flesh and sealed his offspring with the sign of the holy covenant. That's the circumcision. The rabbinic direction lays it down. You shall not eat of the Passover unless the seal of Abraham be in your flesh. According uh, to this rabbinic direction, this teaching, uh, a Jew was not to partake in, in the, uh, or the feast uh, of the Passover unless they had the seal of Abraham on their flesh. And, and that is the sign of circumcision. And so the Jews, they highly, highly valued the physical act of circumcision. If a Gentile uh, wanted to enter into the Jewish faith, he wouldn't be fully accepted until he was circumcised. And so after all of this talk uh, that, that Paul's talking about being justified by our faith, this hypothetical Jewish objector could claim, you still have to admit that Abraham was circumcised. And so certainly circumcision plays a part in this idea of being justified. Well, Paul says, no, 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 that, that's not how this works. As Paul's response to that is that Abraham was justified before he was circumcised. As we saw in uh, Genesis chapter 15, when, when God told Abraham that he would have his very own son, Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. Well, in Genesis chapter 15, you know who was not circumcised? Abraham. Abraham was not circumcised. There, there, there wasn't the, the, the teaching, the instruction to be circumcised until chapter 17 of Genesis. And so Paul is making the point here that circumcision played no part in, in Abraham being justified by his faith. Rather, this physical sign of circumcision, as we'll see as Paul continues in verse 11, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith. While he was still uncircumcised, the purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that the righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So Paul is saying, instead of circumcision justifying Abraham, making him right in the eyes of God, this circumcision was a seal. It was a sign of the righteousness that Abraham had by faith. As Abraham, he followed God's direction to get circumcised in chapter 17. If I were an uncircumcised adult male, I would have to be really, really sure that the one telling me uh, to be circumcised know what he is talking about. If I had any substantial doubt, I would not put myself through that pain. And, and I think every other male in this room would agree with me. That just, oh, that, that, that pains me thinking about that adult male getting circumcised and all of his followers just 
getting circumcised right then and there. But circumcision is not what justified Abraham. But you see, it served as a sign that he had faith in God. Because if he doubted God, there is no way that he would have gotten circumcised and asked all of his followers to get circumcised as well. And so the circumcision, it serves as a seal and a sign of the faith that leads to justification. You see, you see the, the process play out there? It's a, the circumcision is not what justified Abraham. Rather, the, the circumcision was a sign or a seal that showed he was justified by his faith. It's very, very similar to baptism today. The act of baptism isn't what saves us. However, it is a sign of our faith in God. If you aren't baptized, then we have to ask, what sort of faith are you demonstrating? Is it a living and active faith? But when we are baptized in the waters of baptism, that serves as a sign, as a seal to the faith that we have, the faith that justifies us in the eyes of God, the faith that makes us righteous in the eyes of God, the only eyes that matter. And so therefore, Abraham is a father of all who believe, not just the circumcised. It's not just about this physical act. Too often, especially the Jews, and sometimes we, we can get into this bad habit as well. We, we focus so much on the do's and the don'ts and the do's and the don'ts and the do's and the don'ts, but it's about faith. It's about faith, and we are justified by our faith, and we show that we have faith by the do's and the don'ts, by getting baptized and not getting drunk, by obeying the word of God. And so today in Romans uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 12, as we conclude today, Paul is supporting his claims from last week at the end of chapter 3 that we are justified by our faith. This is not something that we do that is accomplished by our works. It's not accomplished by a circumcision or, or any of this. Our works serve as a sign of our faith. For the Jews... Circumcision served as a sign of their faith. For us, baptism serves as a sign of our faith. And so it's important to remember that justification is in the present tense as well. This is a process, but it's a process that is playing out right now as we speak. If you have a living and active faith in God and his son, Jesus Christ, then guess what? You are justified. You are righteous in the eyes of God you are changed right now. This justification is not something that waits for the future resurrection at the return of Jesus. I mean, we live in a very, very evil world where the God of this present evil age is very well alive and active. This was present. The shooting at Michigan State, it's still difficult for me to fathom that this random guy would just go and randomly shoot people he had no connection with. It's just evil. There is evil stuff taking place in our world every single day. And this world needs hope. It needs to see what a righteous life looks like. And so you and I need to serve as a light on a hill in the midst of the world that is full of darkness. We need to live today and the rest of the days of our life like we have truly been justified in the eyes of God. 
We need to live a righteous life for that is who you are. You are righteous. That is who we are as the church. We are God's righteous children. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for the words of Paul, the encouragement that he provides for us. Thank goodness it's not up to our works, Father. But I just thank you that we are saved by your grace and that you've given us this wonderful opportunity to accept your grace with our faith. Father, it's my prayer that everyone here accepts your grace with faith, with a living and active faith. And Father, I just pray that we together as the North Hills Church of God, we serve as a light on a hill in a world full of darkness. I just pray that people can see our righteous lives. They want to live with us. They want to they be like us. They want to be your righteous children. So Father, I just thank you for the many, many blessings that are associated with being your righteous child. We love you. We love your precious son, Jesus. We cannot wait for that day where we can see you face to face in fellowship with you for all of eternity. It's in Christ's precious and holy and powerful and marvelous and wonderful name that we pray. Amen.